Sometimes I engage what, in what I call the suffering Olympics. Maybe you're a competitor too. It's when something happens in your life and it could be a small thing, could be a moderate thing. Sometimes it could be even a big thing that makes you feel that sting, that struggle, that pain, that feeling of loss or grief. But then this voice enters into your head and it says, oh, it's time to check the leaderboard. And so you go into that part of your imagination. Mine's up in this corner. I don't know where yours is. And you check the standings in this imaginary competition that we're all in on who is going to be the most suffering person. And in my version of the Suffering Olympics, I have to rank in a certain quartile to actually feel justified in struggling in feeling the pain of any given situation. And if I don't, I kind of tell myself that, well, maybe what I'm feeling isn't actually that bad and I should just get over it. That my struggle isn't really real because, well, those other people on the board, those ones higher on the list, well, they've had it worse. So what am I? I must be, well, weak, right? Weak for not feeling like I can just muscle through. Weak for having these feelings of struggle or regret that I haven't been able to see my family, that I'm stuck in this house, that there are all these tiny disappointments on a day-to-day -day basis in this COVID time. Well, I'm just weak because I'm not someone who has really suffered, right? Am I worthy of suffering is the question at the heart of the suffering Olympics? Am I, are my struggles worthy? Are they real if other people have had it worse? It's like you arrive at the hospital of empathy and there's only so much medicine to go around. And so you wait for some practitioner to come over and judge whether or not you are worthy whether in the work of triage, you should receive it before other people. And that maybe, well, my voice in my head usually tells me that other people probably deserve it more because they've really struggled. So I'll just wait in line. I'll just wait in line as other people who are more deserving get the support or the compassion or whatever it is that I imagine I need in these situations. It reminds me of that phrase that my parents said sparingly, but they did say, and maybe your parents did too, or those parental figures in your life. You're sitting at the dinner table and you didn't really wanna finish what was on your plate. And they turned to you and they said, oh, there's starving kids in Africa. Maybe it was China. I've heard that there are other countries that have been or continents that have been used in place depending on your age or situation. Now, it's of course, this has never made sense to me. It's never made sense how structural inequality and food justice and the interplays of our financial and trade ecosystem could be rectified by me consuming a little bit more on my plate. But of course, what it, the heart of the message, like, finish your dinner, there's starving kids somewhere, is that there is scarcity. That there's a scarcity of food, that there's a scarcity of resources, that there's not enough to go around. Now, of course, when it comes to food, there is enough to go around. 
we don't have a system that makes it so, but there is enough to go around. And the same goes with compassion and empathy. There is, in fact, enough to go around. Brene Brown calls this dynamic of the suffering Olympics comparative suffering. And what it does is it serves to push down our experiences or push them away if we don't feel like they are big enough to count. And when we push feelings down and feelings away, they tend to metastasize into shame. We start to feel bad that we are feeling bad. And then we feel bad because we're feeling bad about feeling bad. And then suddenly we're in this cycle of shame and pain because we feel unworthy. Maybe right now you're struggling with your kids doing schooling from home, but you tell yourself, well, at least I can work from home. Well, sort of work from home. Maybe you're feeling the weight of this year, the thousands of small disappointments, like tiny boulders in your heart, but nothing really bad happened to you this year. Brene Brown says the equation for comparative suffering goes like this, a feeling of scarcity, an experience of loss, a fear, all of that combines to have this experience of comparative suffering. We're afraid that our suffering, that there's not enough empathy to go around. And so we push it down. Comparative suffering preys upon our fear that there's not enough to go around and it only disconnects us from not only ourselves, but others. For when we meet another person, we can tend to put them in the running for the suffering Olympics, right? I mean, where do they rank on that leaderboard? Is what they're telling me worthy of my compassion? Because I don't have enough to go around for even me, so I don't know if I want to share it with you. But every time I practice something like the practice that Elaine just led us through of meta meditation, loving kindness meditation, what I realize is that compassion and empathy is not a gas tank that can run out forever. It is in fact something that can be replenished. It is in fact a renewable resource. And practices that help us cultivate compassion for others and for ourselves actually grows compassion meaning that there's more to go around. Brene Brown says, when I am empathetic with myself, I tell myself that there's less to go around. When we practice empathy with ourselves and others, we actually create more empathy. Love, y'all, is the last thing we need to ration in the world. The exhausted doctor in the ER room in New York doesn't benefit more if you conserve your kindness only for her and withhold it from yourself and your coworkers who lost her job. The surest way to ensure that you have a reserve of compassion and empathy for others is to attend to your own feelings. I mean, what if we trusted that? What if we trusted that there is enough empathy and compassion to go around that whatever thing that we consider too pitiful to mention as a disappointment, what if we trusted that we could have compassion for that and that that would plant a seed of having more compassion for others? Trusting truly that in our hearts, compassion is a renewable resource. 
I mean, what if we lived in a world in which we imagined that you are worthy of compassion and that that compassion actually opens the door to connection to other people? I mean, what if you're worthy of compassion and empathy because even in practicing it, you open the door to more authentic relationships that are not crowded with judgments and leaderboards, but full of authentic connection no longer worrying about judging yourself or others as worthy or not. What if we tried that out this year? The next time you find yourself downplaying your own experience, ask yourself this. If my best friend, someone who I truly love in the world came to me with this problem, would I offer compassion or judgment? Ask yourself, would I offer them compassion or judgment? And my guess is that you would offer them compassion. So why not do the same for yourself and others, allowing you to let go of all of the small things that do bog us down but are real nonetheless, so that you can cultivate that compassion that is boundless. This has been a shitty year. It's been a great year. It's been an okay year. It's been a year. As we look ahead to the next year, denying the experiences of our, of our lives because of some toxic standards of comparison won't make it better. Let's tell the truth. Let's feel the truth. Sometimes things are awesome. Sometimes they are not. Imagine what is possible when we hone that empathy muscle together, what we can accomplish together, trusting that compassion is a renewable resource. Amen, and blessed be.